you never knew. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Back now and here we go again. Spread the words, we the shorty, tell a friend. The game changed, but I'm here to break a 10. The boys play, but I'm here to make amends. Real talk. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. You are listening to episode 126, being recorded on Thursday, January 4th. I'm your host, Jared Mintz, and there's no better way to bring in the new year than by talking some hoops. The Toronto Raptors have the second best record in the East, but lead the conference in net rating and have been one of the most exciting teams to watch in all of the league over the last couple of months. Joining me to discuss their hot start and whether it's sustainable is one of my favorite voices from north of the border. That voice can be heard on the Lockdown Raptors podcast. His comms can be found at SB Nation's Raptors HQ. Welcome to the show, Sean Woodley. Sean, how's 2018 treating you so far? Oh, it's just delightful. It's it's terribly cold in Toronto, but the Raptors are fun and good. They're 2-0 so far, and uh, you can't really complain when that's the case. Have you guys been hit with a lot of snow lately? Uh, yeah, more so just like ridiculously Mars weather, Mars level weather, as opposed to like a lot of snow. The snow was kind of last month and now it's just, uh, it's just cripplingly cold outside. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice time to just kind of huddle inside, hibernate a little bit and watch some basketball, which is what I've been trying to do. And, uh, the Raptors make it like uh, a really enjoyable experience when you do end up doing that because they're really freaking good. Awesome. We're going to find out more about what makes them so good this year. Uh, I mean, they've been good for a while, so it's not really this year, and I do want to talk about that. I saw you tweeted earlier something about how the Raptors do get plenty of media attention. We need to stop talking about how they don't get attention. And here I was saying, I've never done a Raptors podcast, so I really want to get a Raptors (laughs) person on. But uh, both sides could be valid. This is for my Raptors, Canadian, anybody, friends, fans who don't feel I talk about anybody other than the Knicks who I have to remind you are dreadful and have no energy in uh, January. But that's a different topic for a different day. I, I don't... I am, uh, I'm currently wearing a Frankie Smokes t-shirt, if that's any consolation. Amazing. Is that the Knicks wall Frankie Smokes shirt? Uh, sorry, which one? The Knicks wall? Who, who, where did you get that shirt from? I got this from T Public. Um, I'm not, I think it's a, a Godfrey Chan design, if I'm not mistaken, but I might be totally wrong there as well. Shout out to Frankie Smokes, to all of the Knicks gear, merch, good things. Glad to have you on board wearing a Frankie Smoke shirt. That guy's awesome. But Raptors have a great rookie, too, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Before we do that, Sean, I like to do five rapid-fire questions to allow my listenership to know my guests a little bit better. I asked you before in the rundown if you were cool to do this, Sean. You still down for some icebreakers? Hell yeah, let's do it. All right, number one, we're going to start off flaming hot. What is your hottest take regarding any sports Hall of Fame? Oh... This is, I mean, Hall of Fames, I, is it that Hall of Fames are universally bad? Like, there's no need to have Hall of Fames, and the people who are, like, the gatekeepers of Hall of Fames are uh, archaic and don't really think about uh, sort of advancements in how, you, in how you evaluate players, and therefore most Hall of Fames are wrong in who is in them. And I think probably baseball is the worst one, but... Uh, I am out on Hall of Fames entirely. I think they're just out, out and out bad. If I were to grade your responses, I would give that one an A++, especially the part about the Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I don't know, just universally looking around them, the way we argue over who belongs, who doesn't belong, and the way the, the voters and the writers kind of make it more about them than the athletes. 
Baseball is absolutely the worst because the best player to ever play it isn't in it. So yeah. uh, I'm kind of my a- uh, my my strongest Hall of Fame take for baseball is that Carlos Delgado should have 100% be in the Hall of Fame, and he is not even on the ballot anymore, and it is uh, ridiculous. He's much better than like Don Mattingly, for example. Carlos <laughs> Delgado should be in the Hall of Fame. Mattingly is not in the Hall of Fame either, but uh, wait, I- oh no, it's someone else. Uh, I have another one who's like my comparison, not Don Mattingly. I'm an idiot. Never mind. Disregard that take. <laughs> Carlos Delgado should be in. <laughs> Delgado could still be in. Mattingly could be in. I don't think he necessarily deserves, but I don't want to rile up the the cross section of Yankees fans and Knicks fans that listen. So let's jump out of that one. Good take. Question number two, Sean. What podcast do you find yourself learning the most from with regards to the craft of podcasting? It doesn't necessarily have to be just sports podcasts. Ooh, that's a good one. I so I've kind of with my podcast listening, I've kind of shifted away from just like a couple of years ago. I was like all NBA stuff, and I was like, yeah, NBA, like nonstop. Let's listen to the NBA uh, podcast and get as much as I can. Uh, but I feel like at some point, NBA podcasts, like I'm not saying this one or, or you know, I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but. I do feel like NBA podcasts, and I feel like I've probably been guilty of this in the past in podcasts that I've hosted, where they just kind of get too self-serious sometimes, um, and it becomes less fun, and basketball is really fun. It's the most fun of the major pro, major four pro sports to follow and, and kind of keep up on throughout the season, and I like podcasts that kind of take that bent. Uh, so one that I really started to, you know, I, this is a podcast that I think was probably my favorite podcast of last year, is uh, Take It or Break It with Corbin Smith. Um, he writes for Vice Sports and a whole bunch of other places on the internet, and the, it's just like a—it's not always basketball. It's uh, it, you know, it's a bunch of different things. It's kind of like a uh, a long form version of Around the Horn almost, and it's uh, it's really great and it's fun and it's 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 hilarious a lot of the time, and uh, and they don't take themselves too seriously. So that's probably uh, the one that I'm kind of hottest on right now is uh, Take It or Break It with Corbin Smith. Yeah, Corbin's really funny. I really liked his work, his tweets for a while. I listened to, I should be listening more. I was downloading for a little bit, then my phone got wonky, which is the story of why nobody downloads anybody's podcast, apparently. But uh, <laughs> I listened I listened to an episode with Bob Silverman a couple months ago, and I, I thought they were just very clever. Uh, question number three, what is the weirdest food that you enjoy? Oh, man. The weirdest food that I enjoy. So, like, last time I asked this question, I think Kelly Scaletta said something about, like, some kind of, like, pineapple with mayonnaise. It was some kind of fruit and mayo. And it oh, was that's just, disgusting. The bar that's is awful. The <laughs> bar is very, very high for you to say something awful here. So, the floor is yours. Oh, okay. This is, uh, you really put me on the spot with these ones. Uh, this is one I don't have a quick response to. Um, what are some other interesting responses in the past? <laughs> if, you, if you can, like, because maybe it'll jog my memory for something. Kelly kind of scarred me. I don't know that I have any other bad <laughs> bad food takes like that. I mean, look, I like pineapple on pizza, and I tend to get ridiculed for it, even though I think it's a fine take. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a relatively picky eater, so I, I ask these questions to kind of see what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I guess I'm not the, the most picky eater in the world. I, like, I'll pretty much eat anything at this point. Um, but, yeah, oh, this is maybe something like... I don't mind – so I'm not a ketchup guy. I don't like ketchup on anything. I always think there's a better option than ketchup. Same. Like I don't mind a mac and cheese with like barbecue sauce. Yes. Is that weird? Oh my god, dude. I feel like this is the Step Brothers moment where they do the did we just become best friends because <laughs> like I'm vibing real hard with everything you're saying right now. I 
this is so weird. I used to work a really, really early morning job and I'd get out of it around 930 and I'd be like hungry for real food, not breakfast food. And like some yeah. days I'd get home and I'd make a Stouffer's French bread pizza and just smother it with barbecue sauce because I didn't want to put anything else on it. Yeah, because barbecue sauce is like not my favorite condiment, but I think on a mac and cheese it can work well, especially if you're going to make it mix in like a pulled pork or something. But that's kind of cheating a little bit and getting into like uh, an artisan style of mac and cheese. Like yeah. if you're just making like a homemade like box of instant mac and cheese, I don't mind a little barbecue sauce. I'll probably go hot sauce before barbecue, but uh, there are times where I'll dabble with barbecue and I think it's totally acceptable, even though it might be a little strange. Same, dude. Same. If that's strange, I don't want to be not strange. You brought a, a good food take. I asked for a bad food take, but... I'll let you get away with it. <laughs> Two questions left. What is the most underrated video game from your childhood? Um, I mean, I don't think you can possibly rate this game any high. Like, I this is the, my favorite video game of all time, and if anyone doesn't think it's the best video game of all time, then that is underrating it. It's MVP Baseball 2005 for the GameCube. Um, first of all, the GameCube is, as a console, the most underrated system in the history of video games. Uh, it was better graphics than any of... Uh, Xbox or PlayStation 2, so kind of that you know early aught gen of, uh, of video game consoles. And the games, you, had, you got all the Mario games for that, which you don't get for the other systems, and you got all the sports games as well. Uh, and for me, MVP Baseball 2005 is the best franchise mode I've ever played in a, in a baseball game. Um, all the little games, you like the side games you can play are really great. Uh, go, going through an entire season is like a joy. I played 162 games nonstop in that. Like, I didn't see many games. Um, it's just such a really fun and quick and uh, enjoyable baseball experience. And also, you can play that game two-player, and it's not a drag to play two players. Because I think most baseball games, it's like, oh, this pitch is coming here, and you can kind of see it. And it's kind of weird because uh, those alternating cameras, so you're not exactly sure. You know, it, It's kind of awkward to, to play two players. But for me, uh, or for MVP Baseball 2005, the, it's the same camera all the time. It's the backcatcher camera. And uh, you know the, the pitches, you can hide your pitches. It's uh, it's a really great two player experience. It's really fun to play with like roommates and stuff. And uh, so yeah, if you don't think MVP Baseball 2005, the one with Manny Ramirez on the cover, <laughs> is the greatest video game of all time, you are underrating it. That's fair. I think that that's actually a great answer. And I think adding the GameCube caveat makes it even better. I don't know if I played any sports games on GameCube. Maybe there was a Kobe Bryant basketball that I played or whatever basketball game. That might have been it for GameCube. So under underrated, under the radar. I like it. Last question I have for you before you really get into the Raptors, kind of a cheating question. We're going to start talking about the Raptors now, and it's a little less random. Also, not really rapid fire, but Sean, who's the greatest Raptor in franchise history? I feel like this is such a debatable question. Tell me it's not. Who? Who's the guy? It's Terrence Ross. <laughs> Uh, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I'm currently recording this podcast. There's a framed picture of Terrence Ross above my desk. Um, so I, I am biased. It's not Terrence Ross. He's like one of my favorite Raptors of all time. But I, 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 I think it's changing. We might get into why it's changing a little bit in this podcast. But I do think it's probably Vince Carter for now. But DeMar DeRozan is really damn close. And Kyle Lowry, I think, at his peak... I think he's probably, like, the most impactful player uh, the Raptors have ever had, if that makes any sense. Like, Vince Carter was really great. The Raptors only ever won, like, 48 games with him or 47 games with him as their, as their high. Right. Um, and the roster wasn't, like, amazing around him. They, it was kind of old, and they had a bunch of, you know, Charles Oakley and Antonio Davis and, like, good players, but maybe not in their primes and um, and maybe just not, like, what you would consider today, like, a really great supporting cast for a superstar. 
Um, but you know, Vince Carter, I think, is probably the, also the most important player in franchise history because without him, the Raptors might go the way of the you know the Vancouver Grizzlies. Like the, that, there was a very tenuous time for the organization. The first couple of seasons were awful. They went through like a few coaches right away. Damon Stoudemire was the, the first star for the franchise, and they traded him away before he became a free agent to the Blazers. And then the day they traded him, their coach Daryl Walker uh, resigned, uh, and it looked like a disaster. And it, you know they played out of the Sky Dome, which is where the Blue Jays still play. Um, when they first began, and they didn't move into the Air Canada Center until later on, and it was kind of a weird and, and and sort of rocky start for the franchise. Of course, Vince Carter kind of stabilized all that, and starting in like '99 when he had that dunk contest win, uh, and then going into '01 where he had a few big national TV games, and then they went to the playoffs, went to the second round. That kind of cemented the Raptors as being like the franchise going forward, and they're not going to move anywhere. Like they're here, they're an established franchise now. And there's also like the the side effect of Vince Carter, which is like the boom of basketball uh, talent that you see in Canada today. And people like to attribute that to Steve Nash to, on, on some level, and I'm sure he plays a part in it. But also, Steve Nash played in the Western Conference his entire career. And people growing up, I mean, you, you talk to Andrew Wiggins or Tristan Thompson or literally any Canadian basketball player right now, and Vince Carter was the guy because he was here, he was in the city, he was. You know, you could argue for a couple seasons there in the post-Jordan weird era of the league. Like, you could argue he was like a top three player at some points. And, you know, I think after having him in, in town, that kind of, you know, while Nash probably helped, I think having Vince Carter. And there was a documentary that came about came out about this over the course of the summer, which I think LeBron James produced, um, called The Carter Effect, which is just all of the ramifications of having Vince Carter with the Raptors. And I don't think you see Canada as a disappointing uh, international basketball team right now if it's uh, if it's not for Vince Carter. And, uh, you know, there's still other guys coming up. Jamal Murray is obviously kind of making his way this season. R.J. Barrett's probably going to be the first overall pick in 2019. Um, it's uh, it's all coming up for Canada right now. And uh, Vince Carter has a big reason to do that, has a big role to play in that. So I would say Vince Carter is probably the most important player in franchise history in terms of, like, the career in Toronto. I think DeRozan's getting pretty close just based on longevity and playoff success. Uh, you could argue he's even there now. Uh, he's going to have all the records very soon. He broke a record this week as a, you know, he broke a Vince Carter and Terrence Ross record uh, <laughs> this week, scoring 52 points in the game, beating the 51 that both of those guys had had before. So uh, he actually, I think he maybe could make the argument that Rosen's the best player in franchise history at this point, but uh, I still think Carter's probably the most important. Interesting. I, I like it. Uh, you know, I don't think I would disagree with any of that. I actually really appreciate the the history lesson, even though we're not going too far back, but it, it's important to consider all this stuff and, Obviously, you know, we had Vince play his last game in Toronto recently, kind of sparked that conversation up. And it's easy to be, you know, an outsider and, and look at it and say, well, they got to the Eastern Conference, they got, you know, a game away from the Eastern Conference Finals with Vince. Vince was the guy who stuck around first, you know, Damon Stoudemire, Marcus Camby didn't really work out with those guys. Vince kind of put them on the map. But uh, obviously, we're getting to new territory with higher expectations for this team. And a lot of that comes, you know, with, with Kyle and DeMar. Let's talk about that. Let's get into this year's Raptors team. With respect to the recently cooled off Bulls, the Raptors are the hottest good team in the Eastern Conference. By both, <laughs> look, by both offensive and defensive rating, they're better on both ends of the court this season. With that said, last season's squad also got off to a hot start and struggled a bit through January and February. Ultimately, they fell short in the playoffs. Sean, what's the biggest difference about this year's team from last year's team? So I think there's two big differences. Number one, I think, is they're deeper this year. Um, at least... In the in like the part of the season that we're in right now, 
They're deeper than they are than they were exactly 12 months ago. Of course, they made those deadline deals for Serge Ibaka and P.J. Tucker, which kind of added to their depth and made them a really sort of, you know, they were a pretty potent roster going into the playoffs last year, um, barring, you know, the whole Kyle Lowry injury and stuff like that. But um, I don't think they were quite as deep at this time last year. And this year they have like a 12-man rotation that is just kind of sort of settling now into something that's more like a 10-man rotation. But even then, Norman Powell is like the odd man out. And Norman Powell has saved the Raptors in like two consecutive playoffs. Right. Um, and like I don't expect his relegation to the bench to be all that prolonged. Um, so I think the depth is much better. It's kind of the, you know, Masai Ujiri's grand vision for the team is kind of coming together a little bit here where he's been really, you know, he's maintained the team being really good while also, you know, kind of stockpiling this second team of young guys and they're all kind of hitting this season and it's given the, the Raptors like a really robust roster with a bunch of guys who have different fun skill sets, uh, different nights you have. You know, certain guys who are, who are having great, great performances. Uh, DeLon Wright last night at like 23, 15, and 3. Um, or, sorry, 23, uh, no, wait, it's 25 points, 13 boards, 5 assists with like 4 made threes and a couple steals. And like, it was insane. Uh, like, But that's just, there's going to be random guys like that. You know, Jakob Pertles had like double doubles and stuff. Pascal Siakam had like an 18-point quarter against the Warriors at one point this season. Um, so there's just like contributions coming from all over the place, which I don't think that was really the case last season. And then the other thing too, which kind of ties into this, is that DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, they have really bought into a brand new offense for the team. And everyone knows that the Raptors offense has kind of been built around those two guys in the past. They were... You know, people like to sort of characterize them as an ISO-heavy team from the past. That's not entirely true. They were a really uh, heavy pick-and-roll team, but their pick-and-rolls were designed mostly just to get Lowry and DeRozan space to get their shots off. Um, there wasn't a whole lot in the way of like spreading the floor for them to find shooters or even finding guys in the roll. It was mostly just those guys looking for a little bit of space to get, you know, either if you're Lowry, a pull-up three or, or a lane to the basket, or if you're DeRozan trying to get into that like sort of 10-foot range to get up that, that shot that uh, he's mastered at this point. Um, so those guys, I think this season have kind of embraced just a brand new style of play. And at the end of last season in the playoffs, uh, when the Raptors got swept by Cleveland and Messiah Jerry spoke the day after the season and said they need to have a culture reset. Everyone kind of thought that, you know, Dwayne Casey was going to get fired and maybe Kyle Lowry wasn't going to come back and maybe they'd look to trade DeMar DeRozan and totally rebuild the whole thing. That obviously wasn't true. They just were like, okay, we've seen this movie like three three years in a row where our playoff series even the ones we win aren't attractive and we're barely getting by by the seat of our pants and they you know made a really conscious effort to changing what they do Dwayne Casey I think that dude I mean I'm probably a biased party because I'm I cover the team and I am around Dwayne Casey all the time uh but like that dude should be in the conversation for coach of the year this season the Raptors have completely changed how they play um they are you know well up in assists like last season if the Raptors had a game where they got like 25 assists it was like a story it was like wow they moved the ball so well tonight this season they've had like four games where they're above 30 and they're kind of in that high 20s pretty much every single night uh and their assist percentages across the border up to Martin Rosen's Kyle Lowry's they're all really really great uh career highs or at least like three or four year highs in the case of Lowry um, and the entire team just seems to be functioning a whole lot better. It's, it's much healthier. Um, the offense is kind of the same as it has been over the last few years, which is to say it's been top five, um, but I think it's a much healthier way in which they're going about it this year. So I think those are the, those are the biggest differences. And you know, both of those reasons, I think, are kind of you know, reasons to be you know, encouraged that they can keep this up over the course of the season. Sure, yeah, a lot of strong points there about Dwayne Casey's coaching, and I mean also Masai and some of the guys he brought in whether it was his past offseason or trading for Surge, his last few drafts, I mean, 
this team's young. You mentioned them kind of having like that that second Raptors team on this roster, and it's just it's amazing to look at some of these guys who who we'll talk about soon uh, as the reserves and the roles that they're playing. I mean, Pirtle has been a lot better than than I think most people expected that he'd be. Obviously, OG we'll get to soon has been one of the most slept on rookies in the league this year, but. With this team, it all comes back to their backcourt, and DeMar DeRozan's one of the most divisive players in the NBA. For being a highly skilled volume two guard who doesn't really shoot threes, he isn't considered a great defender in an age where we cherish the three and D guys. With that said, he's done nothing but take his game to new heights every season for the last few years, and this year he's posting career best in offensive rating and net rating, true shooting, assist to turnover ratio, and three-point efficiency, playing at the fastest pace of his career. What are some of the things you're seeing that DeRozan's doing differently this year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really awesome to watch DeMar over the last, you know, nine seasons at this point. I think it's his ninth year. It's his eighth year or ninth. But either way, like, you're not, you're not wrong. Like, every single year, he adds something. And, like, there were a few years there at the start of his career where people were super low on him for a good reason. He didn't really grow uh, into what he is now. He didn't even start that growth until, like, you know, maybe 2012-13 or 2013-14, the first year the Raptors got good after they traded uh, Rudy Gay midseason. Uh, and that's where it kind of, you know, everything kind of kicked off for the team and DeMar included. But, yeah, ever since then, like, there's been conversations like, oh, yeah, they won all these games, but DeMar still is, you know, he's got these limitations. And I do think, you know, they're, you know at least past versions of DeMar have had sort of a ceiling that he places on the team because of his lack of three-point shooting, because he wasn't the best playmaker in the world. He was really easy to defend, and to, really easy to defend in the playoffs. And, like, it still remains to be seen if that's true still or not, but... I do think the signs we've seen this season are, are kind of promising that he maybe will be able to kind of turn things around uh, from his past playoff performances where he's just had a lot of nights where he did nothing. And, you know, I think my favorite example of that was a game against the Bucks last year. I think it was game one or it was a like game three. One of the games the Raptors lost early in that series, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in his postgame press conference, like just dropped mega shade on DeMar because DeMar like eight points all in free throws. And like Giannis just read the, the box score. He's like, yeah, you know, DeMar... He only had eight points, and he looks down, and he looks back up, and he's like, and they were all on free throws, and like he kind of shrugged <laughs> a little bit, and I was just like, yeah, you know, that's playoff tomorrow, like that happens. Um, but I do think what he's doing this season is is it, it, it's really encouraging. I mean, he's kind of bombing threes at a rate that I don't think anyone ever would have expected. I mean, my whole coming into this season was like, all right, I hope he can hit like one and three a game at like thirty four percent. That would be amazing. At this point, he's at like one and a half threes a game. Uh, at like 37 yep. percent and it's uh i don't think anyone saw it coming you'll like we'll be at the raptors games and we'll be in the press box and like demar will get on one of these heaters i think he did this on monday against the bucks he had like three threes in the first quarter and we're all looking at each other like um is demar a three-point shooter now like <laughs> is this what we have to just accept as, as like the gospel at this point and like it's still too early to say it's such a small sample compared to the you know the, the vast majority of his career where he just hasn't been able to shoot threes but the fact that he's doing it confidently he's pulling up off the bounce um he's you know He's shooting quarter threes like just crazy confidently at this point. It used to be a thing where every time he got he got the ball for three, it was like, all right, is he going to shoot it or is he going to try to like kind of you know work his way into a post up or something like this because he's not, not confident in that shot at this point. He's just bombing them. His mid range uh, like his shot chart is like skewing heavily away from the mid range this season, which I never thought we'd see from Demar Derozan. Yeah, yeah, he still uses that shot though because he's one of the best players in the league at it and he can make them, but. He's not relying on it as like the bread and butter of his offense. He's still getting to the line a ton. His efficiency the last couple of weeks has just been unbelievable. And, you know, his defense even has been better this season, which I think 
you know, for me, I was even more concerned about the defense than I was about the three-point shooting because he can be an effective offensive player without shooting threes, especially as he's gotten to be a better playmaker. But uh, the defense this season, while it's not amazing, I think since November 29th, uh, the Raptors are like 14-3 and three since that time. Uh, DeMar is averaging like 1.3 steals a game. Uh, the, the defense has been much better, the starting five, when he's been out there. And like that was kind of an untenable situation early in the season. The starters were just getting eviscerated on defense. Every, like They were scoring like crazy, but they were also giving up like 110 points per 100 possessions. That's not quite the case anymore. Um, and DeMar, like there was a game against the Bucks. The, that game I referenced, the one where he scored 52. You know, one of the biggest plays he made in that game was a defensive stop on the final possession of regulation when Malcolm Brogdon got the ball. Uh, I mean, it was an unbelievable clinic of defense by the Raptors on that possession. Anyway, they like OG switched like four times, ended up on Giannis, like broke broke down like three actions in two seconds. Uh, it was ridiculous. But Demar was on the ball, and he forced Brogdon into putting up like this like prayer that fell short, and that was a really encouraging sign because like Demar has never shown much interest in playing defense whatsoever. Uh, and he's always kind of used the the crux of like, oh yeah, or I guess people who have defended him have used the crux of like, yeah, he's, he's got like a 30% usage rate. So of course he's not going to play defense, but he has that now over the last, you know, 17, 18 games or so he's at about 29 and a half percent usage and he's actually played, you know, moments of defense, which is really encouraging. I'm not sure how much you can count on it over the course of the season or in individual games, but it's nice to know know that he's actually shown the will to play defense at some point this season and that has been a big change as well just across the board like you mentioned DeMar is just a much better player than he was last year right he looks locked in defensively you know some nights and it's impressive because a couple years ago you know he kind of looked lost out there I don't want to say aloof I think that's a little bit of like a, a character assassination when people say something like that but you know I, I do think the argument for him having such a high usage and doing so much on offense kind of translates to doing less on defense, which, again, we're just not seeing that this year as much. He's been great on both sides, and it, it, it's good to see him kind of take that step, which he just continues to do every year. You can't talk about DeMar without talking about Kyle Lowry, who, mm-hmm. playing just under 33 minutes per game this season after being over 37 each of the last two years, as a result, you know, his counting stats haven't been as impressive. How does Kyle look to you this season? Do you think he's having a down year? Is he just being asked to do less? What are your thoughts on on Kyle Lowry this year? I have no issues with anything that Kyle Lowry's done this year. I think all of it is to do with self-preservation, and I think I'm totally on board with that. Like, Kyle Lowry's this kind of guy who, in the past, and even this season, he's the guy who takes a charge when the Raptors are up 30. Like... And as awesome as it is at the moment, like you're thinking, man, how many more can how many more of these can this guy take before he breaks down? And this has been the case with Kyle Lowry over the last few years. Is you get to the playoffs and there's always a nagging injury of some kind. It's always different. Um, you know, a couple years ago in 2014-15, the year they got swept by the Wizards, it was a uh, I think it was like his back that was acting up and his legs. Like he just didn't have anything left because he spent most of the season carrying the team while Demar Derozan was out. Uh, you know, he was, he missed like 21 games and Kyle went nuts in that time. But by the end of that time, like you could tell that he was already starting to wear down because he was just putting so much into every single game. Uh, 2015, 16, he had a weird elbow thing uh, where he just fell in a game and they never really fixed it. And then that game, the last season, the injury was the wrist thing that kind of surfaced during the three point contest, which you know pissed a lot of Raptors fans off that he actually was in it. I didn't really care all that much because it seemed like an like sort of an innocent thing that he thought was going to get better, but was actually much more than what than what people thought it was. Um, and he missed 21 games with that. And you know he wasn't right when he came to the playoffs. He you know hadn't played very much with the new starting five or with Serge Ibaka or PJ. Tucker or anyone like that and then he got hurt in the second round 
against the, the Cavs. So it was uh, it's always different things with Kyle Lowry. And I think the, the whole sort of narrative around him has been Kyle Lowry's a bad playoff player. And maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe he's easier to defend. Maybe he's in that DeMar category where uh, you know some parts of his game kind of lend itself to extra defensive attention, maybe sort of bringing down his effect- effectiveness. But I just think mostly Kyle Lowry's been an unhealthy playoff player. And if this season he's going to play four or five minutes less per game, uh, you know, initiate – I think it's not even the, the minutes. It's just that he's not being asked to create as much um, because DeMar has had the ball in his hands so much. He's been sort of like a pseudo point guard this season. Uh, and then you have two other point guards on the roster and Fred Van Vliet and DeLon Wright who also get a lot of the sort of creation duties. I think we're seeing a lot more of Kyle working off ball, and I think that's uh, like ultimately going to be really good for him in terms of his durability over the course of the season. There haven't been really any sort of injury issues with him so far this year, which is the biggest thing. So while his counting stats may be down, he's still really effective when he's on the court. He is still awesome. Like he had that game, his game against the Bucks on Monday kind of was overshadowed by Demar, but he had like twenty six, six and six on like thirteen shots. Um, he was outstanding in that one too. And he will have Kyle Lowry games where he just was. He'll be like, all right, I'm taking this game over. F you guys. I'm leading our team to a win. It's been less needed this season because of just the depth of the team and the fact that the Raptors have, you know, kind of taken care of business in both of most of their games. They haven't needed like crazy comebacks like they did last year. I think they led the, te- led the league in, uh, in comebacks from 10 or more over the last two seasons. And Kyle was a big hand in all of those. They haven't had to do that this season. So I think everything about Kyle Lowry, it's just a different role he's adapting to. Obviously the, the, the offense changing, it leaves him with less of a burden of creation, and I think that's a really good thing. And I think once the playoffs come around, maybe the Raptors will revert, will revert back a little bit to what they've done in the past. Or I mean, that's kind of what people think will happen. I think they'll stick with this offense, and I think you know it's proved it's being proven that it can work really well. Um, but if there comes a moment where Kyle Lowry needs to take over a game, he's going to actually have the energy to do so, and he won't be hurt. He won't be hampered by you know things that are affecting his shooting motion and thing, things like that. At least in an ideal world, I mean, injuries can still happen, and they're random and weird. But uh, I think Kyle Lowry, everything about the season, Dwayne Casey's done a great job of sort of limiting his exposure. Um, and the Raptors are blowing teams out, which is nice because you get fourth quarters off. And that wasn't a thing that happened last year. Um, so, yeah, everything about the way Kyle Lowry is being handled this season, I am a huge fan of, even if it comes at the expense of like some, you know, maybe an all NBA nod because he's just not getting the crazy numbers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit, you know, when I asked you what the difference is between this year's team and last year's team. But a lot of this team's culture change, reinvention, whatever we want to refer to it as, their culture change and their ability to get out and play faster has been a lot because of their depth, which is really comprised of a lot of these up-and-coming players. Rookie OG and Nunabi has given the team a huge spark. They're 19-5 and since putting him in the starting lineup. Dylan Wright's had flashes of brilliance, like you mentioned, you know, just the other night. Guys like Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Bebe Nagara, and Jakob Pertl have all been legit awesome. How good is this team's crop of young players... How much credit do you give them for the team's success this season? I mean, I, I think it probably still boils down to Demar and Kyle mostly when it comes to like the the ultimate success. But at the same time, these guys have been like so much better than I expected, and like they've had a hand in like a ton of wins. So uh, it's less of a split between Kyle and Demar and the rest of the team than say in the past. Like it, it used to be, like yeah, Kyle and Demar, they're like seventy percent of the pie. 
Uh, this year, it's more like a 55-45 type of thing, right? Like, it's everything's kind of working in concert. And I think the big issue with the Raptors in the past, and Damari Carroll talked about this, actually, after he got uh, traded in the offseason to the Nets. Like, he talked about how the team didn't trust each other and how Kyle and DeMar didn't, you know, really sort of trust the the secondary guys in the team. And maybe that's a problem. Maybe the guys in the, you know, maybe the Patrick Patterson's and Damari Carroll's of the world should have hit their shots and, you know, not traveled every time <laughs> they got like a wide open three opportunity. Um, that play by Patrick Patterson against the Cavs last year will haunt me forever. <laughs> um, but just, you know, I think this season there's more trust and the guys who are playing, like they play hard. Um, I think they've earned the trust of DeMar and Kyle. And I think that's really sort of, paid off with like a lot of um you know the thing about the season is that it's been really fun and the Raptors experience the last couple of seasons considering you know a lot of people look at it and they're like okay well this team can't win in the finals or can't even get to the finals so what's the point like there's been like a cloud hanging over the team for a couple of seasons because of that especially last year because you had Kyle Lowry's free agency kind of looming over the entire thing and every loss felt like maybe like an extra percentage point that he was going to leave and kind of set the franchise back and maybe sort of trigger a rebuild now that these guys are kind of locked in for the future and you have all these young guys on the team and like young guys doing things is really fun we talked about Frankie Smokes off the top like when young guys do things it is really exciting whereas last year you know, when, you know, Patrick Patterson would miss a three or Damari Carroll would clunk a floater or, you know, P.J. Tucker would take a three with his foot on the line, uh, which he did all the time. Um, you know, those plays would be more disappointing than anything. Whereas if Pascal Siakam misses a three at this point, it's like, oh, cool. Matt, Pascal Siakam's trying to shoot threes. That's cool. Um, so there's like less expectation baked in. And because of that, there's just a lot more fun to be had. And yeah, these young guys, I mean, OG has been like... He's ridiculous on defense, man. I, 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 you know, it's kind of crazy because the Raptors two years in a row now with Jakob Pertl and OG, like they drafted rookies who instantly were good at defense, which is hard to do. Um, but they've done it. And OG, I'll never forget his first game as a starting as a starter for the Raptors. It came against Houston in Houston, and he absolutely harassed James Harden the entire game. I think Harden was something like two of fifteen on possessions on which uh, OG was guarding him, and like it was like his eleventh game <laughs> as an NBA player, and it was a game in which. Uh, you know, he probably shouldn't have even been playing considering he had knee surgery in January. And the whole reason for him dropping in the draft was like, oh, this guy might not be back until like December or January. And this was like early November and he was shutting down maybe the MVP of the league. Um, There was that game against the Bucks that I keep referencing on Monday because recency bias. Um, (laughs) But that game, he did a really good job on Giannis. He had a couple possessions. Giannis hit a shot late uh, to put the Bucks up 112-109. But the possession... Like the, the defense that OG played on Giannis in the possession was like something you never see from a guy playing defense on Giannis because Giannis can blow by anybody he wants. And OG didn't let that happen. He stayed right up on him, didn't allow the blow by, poked the ball away and almost got a steal at one point and then, you know, forced Giannis into a really tough baseline jumper that fell. Um, but like, it was just like, man, that is not first year defense. That is ridiculous. And then on the final play of that game, as I alluded to, like the, the intelligence that he plays defense with, you know, switching, uh, you know, three or four times over the course of like a two second action by the Bucks, ending up on Giannis and completely rendering Giannis inconsequential to the play. That is not easy to do. And like very few guys in the league can do stuff like that. And this dude is, you know, maybe 
like a week into where like the time in which he should actually have been playing for the Raptors. Like he, everything that came before like the end of December is complete gravy at this point. Um, and then he's also shooting like you know thirty seven percent from three as well, which I didn't mention yet. So uh, yeah, OG's been awesome. And then Delon Wright, I mean that dude is maybe the most fun bench player to watch in the league that I've seen this year. Like the Euro steps that that dude pulls out are just unreal stuff sometimes and like it kind of gets you up like there are very few players in the raptors who get you up like a like just like you pull you out of your seat like the way delon wright does with some of his like his finishes around the basket things like that some of the passes he throws and then pascal siakam that dude will just run a fast break in you know 3.5 seconds or whatever it takes like it's he's so fast no dude at six foot nine should be that fast but he is and again this kind of all comes back to masai ujiri's you know, vision to build this team and it's all coming together this season and like coming into the year I thought maybe like two or three of these guys would pop and like if that happened I was like all right this team can win 50 games and they can kind of mitigate the loss of all the veterans over the course of the offseason but all of them have hit on certain levels and like Norm Powell who probably had the highest clout coming in has been like the biggest disappointment of the entire group and so you have this team now that has, you know, 12 guys you can throw out there at any time in different lineups and things like that. And Dwayne Casey's gotten super creative and funky with his lineups. And, you know, I think that's something he'll have to rein in by the end of the season so we can kind of know what lineups he's going to trust when it matters in the playoffs. But for now, it just leads to a lot of really intriguing stuff on a night-to-night basis. And, like, just consider that Masai Ujiri got Norman Powell and OG Ananobi, at least the picks that took those guys, for Grievous Vasquez. Like... Imagine the Milwaukee Bucks with Norman Powell and OG Ananobi. Just like it's, it's kind of that's how it's all come together for the Raptors, and it's uh, it's really exciting. I gotta say, like I, I, you know, I'm always kind of you know among Raptors circles, I'm more of the positive sort of figure, I think, that, that a lot of people are. Um, and I was kind of I'm just like very content with them being pretty good. Uh, but I do think like this season, you're seeing a lot more people just be like just happy with what the team is and very excited. Um, and even if it doesn't end in a title, which I don't think it will, I think, you know, most people are just like really happy to have really fun, good basketball going on. They've definitely been fun and they've definitely been good. And, you know, we keep talking about how fast this team is playing, how athletic they are. How you know that their pace is higher than it's been in years? We kind of haven't—I don't even think his name's come up yet. Jonas Valanciunas has kind of been one of these players that, that people have been discussing his role over the last couple of years, whether he he's used correctly or not. What do you think the ideal way is for Casey to be using his bigs? Do you think we're seeing that this year? In a perfect world, how, how do you see you know minute distribution or role distribution kind of be being played out amongst the bigs on this roster? Yeah, I mean, look, man, Jonas has been the same player for four years, pretty much. Like, he's a guy who is very good against certain teams and unplayable against others and fine against other teams. And, like, he hasn't really changed as, in terms of, like, what he is for four years, but we, like, Raptors fans have the same arguments about him every single game, um, which is absolutely mind-blowingly frustrating. But, uh, no, I think Jonas... How he's been used this season is fine. I, like I think in an ideal world, Serge Ibaka is playing the most important minutes of games at center, uh, and I think the way like OG or Pascal Siakam have played this season kind of makes you a little sort of more content with that because you can throw one of those guys at the four. You're not sitting there with CJ Miles playing the four and getting completely just destroyed on the boards. Um, and Jonas, I think, and we've seen this. Like there'll be games where he'll play like 16 minutes, where 12 of them come in the first half. Uh, he just doesn't really see the court for the rest of the game because Casey kind of knows at this point which matchups are going to be good. Pretty much. 
much if the Raptors are playing against Andre Drummond or DeAndre Jordan, uh, Jonas is going to be awesome. Other than that, it's hard to say. It's kind of a night-to-night thing. And there are certain games like the Warriors or, or like the Blazers, for example, teams with point guards who can really burn got, uh, the centers who can't really come up and sort of guard pick-and-rolls, uh, like those teams that you, you can barely play Jonas against. So um, I, I think it's been established. I think Dwayne Casey knows exactly how he wants to use these guys. I don't think we're going to see Jonas out of the starting lineup at all, just because the way the rotation is constructed, it's hard to really see uh, Jonas coming out and then how they would really manage a bench unit. Because the thing with the bench unit is they kind of thrive on that identity you're talking about of just like running, uh, playing super fast, playing really great defense. And if there's one or two things that Jonas Valanciunas doesn't do at all, it's run fast or play defense. So he doesn't really fit with that identity. So he kind of is stuck with the starters at this point, and there will be games where he's useful, but I do think when in, in crunch time against certain teams, uh, you're just not going to see him. And if the Raptors play the Cavs again, for example, like you won't see Jonas Valanciunas play very much. We saw that last year. He got relegated to the bench and, very, and barely played. And when he did play, you know, the, the, the Cavs were content to give him 21 points all on twos while Channing Fry rained threes on his head on the other end. Um, so... I think, you know, Ibaka is going to be playing center for this team when it matters most. Uh, you know, where Pirtle fits into that, I don't know. There could be an Ibaka Pirtle thing that I've kind of been shipping for a little bit that we haven't seen a whole lot of, but kind of an idea where on defense, Pirtle kind of is the nominal four because he's a little quicker. He can kind of get out to the perimeter a little bit. Um, probably more than you would expect from a guy who looks like Jakob Pirtle, um, but he's, he's, he's really quick, and you can kind of have Ibaka hang near the rim where he's been really effective. His block numbers are going back up a little bit this season. I think he has like the longest streak in the league with at least one block in a game this year, so that's cool, I guess. Um, he had like three blocks against the Bulls on Wednesday, three against Milwaukee on Monday, um, so he's kind of getting back to his you know, ways of blocking a bunch of shots, and that's, I think, because he's actually playing the position he's actually best at right now, um, at least for, you know, more minutes than he has over the last couple seasons in Orlando or OKC. Um, So, yeah, like, Obaka, when the Raptors are in a, you know, crunch time situation against the Cavs, is going to be playing center. Who's playing the four? I have no idea. Um, And then we'll see some sort of collection of DeLon, uh, Lowry, DeMar, like, as a backcourt. You know, sometimes Fred Van Vliet's been a crunch time guy this season just because Dwayne Casey likes to have his shooting on the court. Um, Casey, I think if there's one thing Casey needs to work on, it is sort of shaping what his playoff rotation is going to look like, but there's a lot of time to do that. Um, but I don't think Jonas Valanciunas is going to be a big part of it unless they play a team like the Heat or someone like that where you have Hassan Whiteside, who's another one of those guys, a traditional sort of big who can't really burn Jonas by stretching him out at all. Uh, that I think we could see Jonas play pretty well against. We saw that a couple years ago in the playoffs before both him and Whiteside, the best part of that series, got hurt, and it became the most unwatchable series I've ever watched. (laughs) Um, So, uh, like, Jonas is the kind of guy who you don't really think about or don't really miss until you realize, like, oh, man, we need this guy in this game uh, for rebounding or whatever. Um, that's why I think the Raptors are pretty happy they didn't just give him away for nothing over the course of the offseason. They could have done the, the Damari Carroll treatment to him and given him away with an asset to get his money off the books. But there are certain games where it's like, man, I'm really happy we have this seven-foot dude who can grab every single rebound and score an easy bucket for us on the team. So uh, while I think Jonas has definitely fallen down the pecking order of the roster, like there is still a place for him. Um, but like I don't think he's getting any better than what he is right now. I just kind of think he is what he is. Sean, this has been awesome. You're you're giving me so much great insight. Kind of all, all these things kind of seem apparent when you watch this team. Just there's so many good players on the team, and it, it's tough to make it work. And it's tough when you're you're a team like the Raptors, who kind of get <laughs> referred to as the Clippers East, or did get referred to as the Clippers East when the Clippers were a good team. You know, it's just <laughs> it's tough being one of these teams that has so much talent, seems so close to you know getting to the top of 
of the league, of the competition, and then just having somebody in front of you that you can't get past. This looks like a year where, you know, they, I don't want to say they could put it together. I I think Cleveland is still Cleveland as long as LeBron is LeBron, because LeBron is that good. But I mean, you tell me, I know we're getting close on, on time being up here. Is Cleveland still the team to beat in the East? Is there another team that you're afraid of? Or do you, do you really think, you know, this, this is the year the Raptors can kind of be that team? Look, I don't really think the, the Cavs are beatable because they haven't been and they have LeBron and this is just kind of the way it goes. And every year this time we're like, oh, maybe this is the year. And then LeBron is LeBron. And, like, he's playing better this year than he has over the last, like, four years. So, like, what are you supposed to make of that? Um I guess the Isaiah Thomas thing, the Raptors have really sort of hurt Isaiah Thomas in the past. Maybe if he's a featured part of the team, maybe they can kind of exploit that a little bit. Maybe Lowry, who has really had success against Thomas in the past, maybe he goes off and they can win a couple games. I do think it's probably a closer matchup this year than it would be, say, last year or even in that conference finals where the Raptors won six games but lost the series by like 100 points. Um, like, I think it would be a closer matchup. I think the Raptors can match up defensively better than they have in the past just because they have so many guys who can switch and play a bunch of positions. And uh, a lot of their young guys are just like really damn good defenders. So I think it'd be a better matchup, but no, I don't really see it. I think the Raptors are probably the second best team in the East, though. Like, I know everyone loves the Celtics, but I don't love the Celtics. And I think eventually a team that plays as hard as they do all the time is going to burn out. And I just, in the playoffs, you know, unless there's like a miraculous Gordon Hayward return, I just, I'm not sure they have enough there. I'm not impressed by Boston's offense. I'm not sure what they're going to be come playoff time. If teams are just like, all right, we'll let Marcus Smart shoot five threes a game. Like go nuts, like have fun there. Um, Like I do think that's going to be a problem for them. And I'm more scared. I think of the wizards and bucks than I am of the Celtics in a playoff setting. Um, And yeah, like the wizards, they're, I mean, I still have PTSD from that series in 2014-15, but of course. Uh, like they, they, they're really good. And Bradley Beal's playing better this year than he ever has, and just one player of the week. And he's really just kind of stepped it up this season. Um, they're, they're still, their bench is still terrible, but the Wizards scare me. They always will scare me because you know, of what's happened in the past. Um, and then the Bucks, like that game on Monday was like one of my favorite games to watch this season. Period. Uh, and like the, you can see flashes from Giannis. I'm just not sure. Like I think Jason Kidd is a horrible, horrible, horrible coach. <laughs> um, and his defense is really stupid, and it's really easy to pick apart if you know what you're doing. And the Raptors, while they struggled the first couple of games of last year's playoffs, they seem to know what they're doing against the Bucks now. So while I'm not like I, I'm not thrilled about the idea of playing the Bucks in a playoff series, I think Jason Kidd is dumb enough that you can kind of outsmart him and checkmate him pretty easily in a series and like Norman Powell was the checkmate move last year when they started Norman Powell it was like oh yeah they can't do anything now because there's too many guys in the court who can make play and the scrambling defense doesn't really work um and uh, so the, I think the Bucks are scary and if they can make a deadline move or something they become even scarier but uh I, I think the Raptors have a very good shot especially like this one seed is going to be super important um they're tied right now in the lost column with Boston even though Boston's played like 100 more games um, if the Raptors can overtake the one seed and avoid playing both Boston and Cleveland in a potential playoff, uh, like that is huge. And I think that they're really going to have uh, – that's a nice carrot for the Raptors to chase this season to kind of keep them engaged. Because I think last January we saw they kind of went into this malaise. They got a, a couple injuries going and they kind of ruined their pace. Um, I don't see that happening this season. I think they're too deep. They're too good. And I, I really do think they're going to be right in the, in the conversation for the one seed by the end of the season. Homer podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that that's really awesome. And look, I, I love great LeBron as much as I love anything in the NBA. When that guy gets going and he does the things he's been doing for the last, I don't know, not even the last seven years, but the last 10 to 13 years. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun to watch, but I'm always here for somebody playing the spoiler and I do enjoy watching this Raptors team. So 
Sean, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and making sense of what we're seeing, giving us an insider's view. Everybody, please make sure you're following Sean on Twitter at WoodleySean. That's W-O-O-D-L-E-Y-S-E-A-N. That's WoodleySean. And for the best Raptors content, make sure you're checking out SB Nation's Raptors HQ and listen to the Locked On Raptors podcast. Sean, before we say goodbye, you got anything you want to plug? Any shout-outs you want to give? Uh, yeah, most of my writing actually these days is at LockedOnRaptors.com, which I think makes us uh, co-workers because we're on the FanRag Sports Network, Correct. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, so the the, uh, the most recent thing I have up there, that's where the podcast goes. I post the podcast there every day. Uh, but I wrote a thing last month. This is kind of out of date because it's not the Christmas season anymore, but uh, it's a really fun read if you want to check it out and if you like weird basketball things. So I did an oral history of – uh, maybe the worst album ever made. So Raptors broadcasters Jack Armstrong and Eric Smith in 2010, they recorded a Christmas album. And it is so bad, it's unbelievable. And I talked to them, I talked to the guy who played piano on the album, I talked to Raptors play-by-play guy Matt Devlin, who was shunned from the entire process. <laughs> uh, and I, I put together like 3,000 words on one of the worst albums you'll ever hear. Uh, so just check it out. It's uh, search Locked on Raptors, Jack Armstrong, Eric Smith Christmas album, and you should find it right there. You got it. Yeah, I mean, Sean does a lot of fun writing, also a lot of great Raptors analysis, as you heard today. Uh, Sean, thanks again for coming on, man, and I would love to have you on when the Raptors make a deep playoff run in a few months. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. And I'm guessing, like, the what the hope is here is a, a Knicks-Raptors first round? Oh, my this, gosh. This would be fun. This would be fun. Have you watched the Knicks play recently? I don't, I don't know if that's a thing that's happening, but uh, sure, let's get, in, let's get into the eighth <laughs> seed and lose that pick. Uh, I'm in I'm in big self pitying loathing Knicks mode right now. I don't I don't even want to hear the name Knicks. <laughs> I would like to see it because that game this season where the Knicks scored 41 points on the Raptors in the third quarter, as much as it sucked for the Raptors, I just love seeing MSG like happy and like bumping. And I would like to see them get back to that. I hope they get on a little run here because they're fun. And I don't think a lot of the Eastern teams are all that much fun. I'm glad you think watching Ennis Cantor and Kylo Quinn play big minutes at the five while Chris Apps Porzingis <laughs> shudders to get open looks is fun. But uh, I digress. Sean, thanks again so much for coming on and uh, stay in touch. All right. Absolutely, man. Take care. Long range, I've been killing on the blacktop. AI cross, sunning rappers like a backdrop. Clock ticking, I'm the one, take the last shot. Couple chairs for him, got your shorty like a mascot. Never ask, I'm just feeling what that ass got. These half nuts at my neck like an ascot. Uh, 100 grand up in my dash hop with more K's than dash got. You living in a glass box, I'm on point, Steve Nash. Destroy your track like I'm Hancock. Now I'm pulling tops down like a rag top.